So I have to tell you a story. Over the last two days, more than a half dozen members of First Parish in Cambridge and I attended the 2011 Men's Conference at First Church in Boston, con contemplating the future of Unitarian Universalism. And Friday night, as I was leaving the conference, a middle-aged woman I've never met approached me and said, I just met the two coolest young adults from your congregation. <laughs> and when she described them, it was obvious. She was talking about Andy Cote and Christine Bodner. And the next morning at the conference, I ran into Andy and Christine, and I shared with them what the woman had said. And another young adult overheard and broke in, well, I met someone who assumed I was in your congregation because I'm so cool. <laughs> I know it's just one data point, but I like to think of it as a trend line. <laughs> Any serious consideration of climate change and the human prospect is necessarily a meditation on hope. The great Unitarian preacher and abolitionist Theodore Parker once asked, what is transient in Christianity, and what is permanent? We must ask, what is transient in human life on earth, and what is permanent? What is transient? The snows of Kilimanjaro, glaciers in Glacier National Park, Vermont maple syrup, Cape Cod, Boston, Cambridge, First Parish in Cambridge, polar bears in the wild, tropical diseases confined to the tropics, ancient forests, cheap gasoline, shopping malls, Stable food supply, stable government, and much, much more, yet beyond our comprehension. What is permanent? Love. Love and its attendance, faith and hope. A meditation on hope. The rise in the Earth's temperature is accelerating. Nine of the ten warmest years on record occurred in the last decade. 2010 tied 2005 as the hottest year in 131 years of record keeping. Nineteen countries experienced unprecedented heat last year. Burma reached 117 degrees Fahrenheit, a new record for Southeast Asia, while the ancient city of Mohenjo-daro in Pakistan set the new Asian record of 128.3 degrees Fahrenheit, the fourth hottest temperature ever recorded anywhere. 2010 saw a heat wave in Russia, fires in Israel, flooding in Pakistan and Australia, landslides in China, record snowfall across the mid-Atlantic region of the United States, and 12 Atlantic Ocean hurricanes, extreme weather events, 
climate scientists deem characteristic of global warming. Warmer air holds more water vapor, and the extra moisture leads to heavier storms in some areas, while warming causes drought in others. As Arctic sea ice melts, darker water is exposed, absorbing more sunlight, which melts more ice, a self-reinforcing feedback loop. As warming continues, higher sea levels from melting ice and the expansion of warmer water will displace entire populations as low-lying coastlands and islands are inundated. Heat waves and droughts will decimate harvests while shrinking mountain glaciers imperil the water supply of hundreds of millions of people. Heard enough? Congress hasn't. Or rather, they've heard too much from the oil, gas, and coal industries who ply them with campaign contributions and manipulate public opinion with slick advertising campaigns. Of the $32 million the U.S. Chamber of Commerce spent on the 2010 elections, 94% went to climate deniers. Legislation addressing climate change is dead in the water. President Obama's State of the Union speech this year didn't even mention it, while his administration is calling for massively expanding coal mining. Last Thursday, 19 House Democrats voted with a united Republican majority to overturn the finding by the Environmental Protection Agency that greenhouse gases pose a threat to public health and welfare. The bill died in the Senate, but not before 50 senators, including four Democrats, voted to reject this scientific finding by the agency required by law to make it. Do the American people care? Not according to the polls. When Americans are asked what issues are important, the environment comes in dead last. When they're asked which environmental problems worry the most, global warming comes in dead last. While nearly half say the whole thing is exaggerated by the media. A meditation on hope. I confess, I've had an ambivalent relationship with hope. Buddhist teachers I admire caution that hope can distract us from the reality of the present moment, both its dangers and its joys, by keeping us fixated on an imagined better future. Given the threats we face, is hope just pie in the sky. But I have to tell you, I have been converted. I come before you a born-again apostle of hope. Martin Luther King Jr. was an apostle of hope. Everything that is done in the world, Dr. King told us, is done by hope. Van Jones is an apostle of hope. Remembering Dr. King's assassination 43 years ago, the Green Jobs activist recently proclaimed, we are not going to let the hope die again on our watch. Nick Vujicic is an apostle of hope. Nick is a 27-year-old Australian born with no arms and no legs. 
I am not constrained by my circumstances, Nick insists. Most of the hardships we face provide us with opportunities to discover who we are meant to be and what we can share of our gifts to benefit others. I'd never heard of Nick Vujicic when I saw a photograph of this smiling, good-looking young guy on the cover of a book in a bookstore. As I looked more carefully at the picture, I realized he had no arms or legs, just a partial foot protruding from his torso, allowing him to stand. The book was titled Life Without Limits, Inspiration for a Ridiculously Good Life. I bought it on the spot. Nick has an indomitable spirit and an incredibly upbeat personality. He travels the world bringing his inspirational story to audiences large and small, young and old, rich and poor, of every color and culture. His message is incredibly effective because nearly everyone responds the way I did. You know, whatever complaints I have, this guy has got to have it worse. But not only does he persevere, he triumphs. Hope is a catalyst, Nick says. It can move obstacles that seem immovable. When you keep pushing, refusing to give up, you create momentum. Hope creates opportunities you never would have anticipated. Helpful people are drawn to you. Doors open. Paths are cleared. Defeat happens only to those who refuse to try again. Confronting obstacles I can barely imagine, Nick has met them and overcome them by hope. But daunting though life without arms or legs must be, climate change poses challenges of a different order entirely. It threatens ecological, agricultural, economic, and social collapse on an unprecedented scale. What kind of hope can companion us through the perilous decades to come? To answer that question, I turn to yet another apostle of hope, Alik Chia Ahush the last great chief of the Crow Nation, also known as Plentiku, who led his people as white conquest turned their world upside down. In the 1850s, when he was a boy, the Crow were a powerful tribe of nomadic hunters. Shortly before he died in 1932, Plentiku recalled when the buffalo went away, the hearts of my people fell to the ground, and they could not lift them again. After this, nothing happened. There was little singing anywhere. Under Plenty Coup's leadership, the Crow allied themselves with the United States against the Crow's traditional enemies, the Cheyenne and Sioux. When the wars ended, Plenty Coup took up farming and urged his people 
to do the same. He encouraged young Crow to educate themselves in the white schools and to be open to the white religion. Rather than following the suicidal path of armed resistance or the millennial escapism of the ghost dance, Plenty Coup preserved his people, their best land, and the essence of who they were in the face of catastrophic change. Where some might understandably see in Plenty Coup's strategy a craven collaboration, philosopher Jonathan Lear sees there the most profound courage. Lear suggests that in their most desperate hour, perhaps what the crow needed most was not another war chief to fall in glorious and doomed battle, but a new crow poet, a creative maker of meaningful space, of a new field of possibilities, who could take up the crow past and project it into the future, project into the future vibrant new ways for the crow to live and to be. Given the devastation they endured, Lear writes, either they had to give up the idea that there was any longer a courageous way to live, or they had to alter their conception of what courage was. When Plenty Coup was a young boy, he went on a vision quest. In a dream, he saw the passing of the buffalo. He saw himself as an old man. In a terrible storm, the four winds made war against the forest and knocked down all the trees, save one. Then a voice said, listen, Plenty Coup. In that tree is the lodge of the chickadee. He is least in strength, but strongest of mind among his kind. He is willing to work for wisdom. The chickadee person is a good listener. Nothing escapes his ears. He gains successes and avoids failure by learning how others succeeded or failed. When Plenty Coup returned to his people and told them of his dream, the elders agreed that its message was that they should think for themselves, listen and learn from the experiences of others, and thereby escape destruction. The dream didn't say exactly what would befall the crow or what they should do. It told them to listen, to think, and to adapt. Inspired by this dream, Plenty Coup embraced what Lear calls radical hope, a commitment to goodness that transcends one's current understanding of the good, a commitment to the bare idea that something good will emerge. It is basically the hope for revival, for coming back to life in a form that is not yet intelligible, the hope that is held in the face of the recognition that, given the abyss, one cannot really know what survival means. 
Climate change is a certainty with profound consequences, both predictable and unpredictable. Stopping it is impossible. Responding to it is inescapable. Radical hope offers a faithful, courageous, and creative way to respond. We did not choose this calling. We would not choose it. That's why it's called a calling and not a choice. Moses, Paul, Muhammad, scripture is filled with stories of people just going about their lives when God calls them to a very different purpose. We are called not so much to save the earth, though defending it is crucial, as to save our souls as the earth changes despite our best efforts. It's as if we were passengers on the great ship Titanic on its maiden voyage crossing the North Atlantic. Suddenly, the huge vessel shudders. And gradually, with agonizing slowness, we come to realize first that the ship has been struck, then that it has been breached, then can it be possible that it is in trouble? And finally, that it is inexorably sinking. At each stage, we might feel shock, disbelief, outrage. How could this be happening? How could those in charge have been so reckless? Will I get a refund for my ticket? But eventually, some of us cross the threshold from shock, disbelief, and outrage into an acceptance of our circumstance, not an acceptance that it is acceptable or just or fair, but an acceptance that it is. And then if we are wise enough and brave enough, we turn from complaint to commitment. How do I live my life for the rest of my life? To what purpose am I faithful? How courageously and creatively can I respond to this catastrophe? How can I serve? How can I sacrifice? And in that turning, there is a moment when we find ourselves standing on the tilting deck lashed by wind and spray and gripped by a wild, extravagant, even fearless joy.
It is sometimes complained of Unitarian Universalists that we celebrate Easter while ignoring Good Friday. That we want the sweetness and light without the suffering and darkness. Whether that charge is true or not, it will no longer be possible. Good Friday is coming. Good Friday is upon us. But Easter, too, is coming. Easter, too, will come. Life without meaning, says Nick Vujicic, has no hope. Life without hope has no faith. If you find a way to contribute, you will find your meaning. And hope and faith will naturally follow and accompany you into your future. Against our will. But with our faith, we are called into a future beyond our dreams, beyond our nightmares, beyond our comprehension. We are called to devotion and sacrifice and imagination. We are called to radical hope. Amen. And blessed be.